If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today I'm delighted to introduce Joanne Varikios. Joanne's been a previous guest with us on episode number 202. If you'd like to go back there, if you didn't hear that interview, probably best if you go back there first, just to hear a little bit more about Joanne, what she's done, what her favourite quote is, and a few other things. Today, we're going to talk about the 10 judges' secrets to improve your competition results. How are you today, Joanne? Tremendous. Thanks, Dennis. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, Joanne, I know that you've written a book. You've got the seven steps of success. And I know these these points, these 10 points are sort of hinging on that. Um, judges' secrets to improve your competition results. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you started judging and what you do now as a judge? Okay. Thanks. And thank you for having me back too. Oh, no worries. We enjoy having you. <laughs> Lots of knowledge. Thanks. I started judging through stewarding. Uh, I was into eventing, and so to you know give back to the eventing club I was in because I didn't compete at every event. I would be a gear steward and do other things like that, and I enjoyed that and being around the horsey scene and uh, you know making sure the rules are met. I'm a bit of a stickler for rules, as um, you'll probably hear later in the interview as well. And so then through stewarding and competing at agricultural shows and becoming a, a, a stud manager and horse breeder. I got a little bit of a, a reputation for having a good eye for a horse and I was asked to judge at agricultural shows and I got to do everything from harness ponies to thoroughbreds, um, none of which were my specialty, but with an eye for a horse, you can, uh, you know, do a good job for everybody. And to my knowledge, I actually never had any complaints. And then when I got involved with the Australian Warm Blood Horse Association in the mid, early to mid 80s, I started to train with them as a classifier. And I trained with um, people who had trained or been uh, recruited as classifiers overseas, like in Germany and Holland, and got tremendous grounding from them in what makes a great riding horse and the mechanics of confirmation and that sort of thing much better than my instinctive eye and pony club trading and extensive reading had given me. So after becoming classifier, I became mare classifier, cult classifier, judging at warm blood shows as well. And I've been doing that for let's just say decades, Glennis. Okay, so you've been judging for decades, but I know you've been riding and competing for a long time before that. So these judges' secrets to improve people's competition results, I think, is going to be good for any competitor, but will also help judges as well. I hope so, mm-hmm. yes. Before we start, I want to talk a bit about winning horsemanship, which I've read. You know, I've really liked the book because – if you look at it from a couple of different points of view, you've sort of got a story about yourself and how you started weaving through it. 
you also are talking about your experience as a judge and you're also talking about it from a technical point of view. You know, so you've sort of got the three all weaving through the same book, which is just a brilliant idea. I've certainly enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the stories, but enjoyed the technical knowledge as well. And we'll talk about how you're giving away. We've got three copies of that book to give away. And we'll talk about that sort of through the interview and towards the end of the interview. So let's get started on these judges' secrets at the moment, the 10 judges' secrets to improve your competition results. What's the first secret that we've got? The first secret is learn to laugh at pressure. Mm-hmm. And if I could convert that into a tweetable, I would say it's meant to be fun. <laughs> yes. And people, I think, forget that because it is exciting and you are being judged and people you know, react to being judged in different ways. But at the end of the day, it's, for most people anyway, a hobby. It's not life and death. And I love a quote from a guy called Keith Miller, who some people might remember was a cricketer, uh, but he is a little bit ancient history in as much as he was also an RAAF wartime pilot. And his life experience uh, allowed him to understand what Current sporting celebrities have yet to learn, I think, that fame is fleeting, number one. The competition arena is not life and death. And you need to keep perspective about what is real and what really counts. And he said, if I can uh, just paraphrase him a bit, because I won't use one of the words he used. He said uh, he was asked in an interview about pressure and he was going to go into a test cricket match. And someone said, how are you going to handle the pressure of this test cricket match? And he said, pressure? There is no pressure in test cricket. I'll tell you what pressure is. Pressure, pressure is a Messerschmitt up your rear end. Yes. Messerschmitt, for those who don't know, being a fighter plane on the enemy side. So that's pressure and everything else is really just self-imposed because, you know, the judge is not trying to kill you. The other competitors are trying to beat you for sure, but they're not trying to kill you. So it's, yeah, it's meant to be fun. And that's the the first one, laugh at pressure. And even the champions get beaten. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And if you don't enjoy it, you don't have to do it. So I would say either learn to laugh at it or find an equestrian outlet where you aren't being judged and aren't under that pressure. That's right. So you can still do stuff, connect with your horse, but um, you're choosing to be in that competition arena. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Yes. Mm. And it's a learned skill, and uh, I do cover this a bit in the book. You know, if you are throwing up nervous, you can get over that. I know Mm. when I first started speaking in public, There was no way I could hold a sheet of paper for notes because the audience would see it shaking along with my knees knocking. Now that doesn't happen. But, you know, it took took practice and it took guts to keep standing up and doing it until Mm -hmm. I mastered that. Mm -hmm. And to have that, you know, because it is a choice, to make you master that, were you looking at at more of a goal orientation, this is what I want to achieve at the end of it, to help you work through that? Yes, it's a bit like um, Stephen Covey said in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the other thing I would say, which is I think a huge tip someone gave me once in a presentation skills course, is that if you know how to be bad, which we all do because we can all do (laughs) the knees knocking, teeth chattering, you know, inept thing. If you know how to be bad, you know how to be good. You just, just reverse it. It's it's almost acting and 
Mm. Not fake it till you make it, but practice until you can do the good thing more than the bad thing. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. That was good on the first point. We sort of kept talking there. What are your second point that you've got? The second point is strive for excellence, not for perfection. Mm-hmm. I would say good horsemanship and good riding should be a habit. So you should always be trying to do as well as you possibly can in the knowledge that it's never going to be perfect. So there's all sorts of things that you can do something about, lots of things you can't do something about. So if you want to be put on an excellent performance, what are some of the things you can do? I hear you ask. Well, you can't change your confirmation, but you can choose tack and colours that will complement yourself on your horse. Uh, so your coat colour, for instance, your saddle cloth can make your – people don't often think about this, but it can make your horse look dingy or it can make his or her colour pop. So uh, a tip there would be to take the horse's photo with you when you go clothes shopping and buy colours that suit you but will also work with your horse. Mm, yes. And similarly, yeah, you can't change your height, but you can make sure all your clothes fit and are correct for the occasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, I would say, yeah, just that successful competitors have a look and they tend to have the same look. And if you look at them, a lot of looks in that sentence, but if you observe them, you, the people who win, you can see how they pull things together in terms of their grooming, their tech, their self-grooming and their clothing. And it is fairly, fairly uniform. There aren't too many um, bold experimenters or field leaders amongst the most successful ones. And the less successful competitors are, are the ones who look a little out of place because they don't have the look. Now, it costs no more to have the look because, as we all know from um, shopping tips and what have you, you can get a very similar look from, say, Kmart as you can from um, Max Mara, but you don't have to spend the same money. Yep, yep. I think that's good, and I think, as you said, if they can pull things together, um, that's good. Well, what's the next one? You've got uh, eliminate fuss and fiddle. What what tips would you give or what would you like to talk about with that tip? Ah, uh, yes. Well, I, it depends on what events that you have been to, but I sometimes see people who obviously haven't had a dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And so some of the fuss and fiddle can be, especially in lead classes, uh, if you wear a skirt, is it something you can actually run in and is it going to ride? <laughs> if you've chosen a clingy one that will stretch as you, you stride out, is it actually going to ride up while you are running? And do you have to – then you've got a horse in one hand, a, a whip in the other hand, and you're trying to hitch your skirt down so that you don't take the uh, judge's attention off the horse too much. And that is something you don't want to be fiddling with in the arena. You need to run in that skirt beforehand, run in those shoes so that you know they work. And same with uh, hats. Wear a hat with your horse on a windy day. See if the horse's face with your hat off, that sort of thing. But in terms of tact, my absolute pet hate is chains. I hate chains, nose chains jaw chains, just chains clipped to lead ropes for the look of the chain because it makes a noise. It looks like 
unless it's required by the class rules for whatever you're showing in, and you know, some Western classes I think may require a chain as part of the look. The horse often plays with the chain, especially young colts who people tend to think they need them on. And so there's a lot of lipping and then jerking the chain out of the horse's mouth all the time. And it is often where people's hands need to be on the lead rein and it's not comfortable for them. I think chains are a disaster, so I don't like chains. And the other thing is how you behave in terms of fuss and fiddle. You know, don't niggle at your horse. Don't pick um, at your horse constantly. Don't plead and rant and definitely don't punish, but equally don't kiss the horse in the ring. You know, don't don't pet the horse either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just thinking about, you know, the running and the skirt and the hat and just a funny story that was in your book. Would you like to go over that or would you leave it to people to read the book? I think if you can briefly go yes, over well, it, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, just um, is that the one about the person who who had the horse knocked her hat off and she fell yes, over? Yes, and yes. I think that sort of is the brief outline, but I think the way that um, Joanne's written it's quite good and it's quite funny and it, it quite imaginative as well. I think you haven't done yourself justice. I think that when you read the book, read the information, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know you're a stickler for rules, Joanne, so the next one is obey the rules. Would you like to give us a bit of an example, you know, like an example or talk about obeying the rules as well? Sure. And to obey the rules, first you have to know the rules. Mm -hmm. And time after time, you see people who haven't read the rules or haven't memorised the rules or have forgotten the rules, and it's really fundamental. So uh, don't take... Don't go into the arena for a competition, say for dressage or a Womblad event, wearing boots or bandages on the horse's legs. It's fundamental, but how many times, and especially as a gear steward, have I had to remind people, take them off? Uh, do you have the right bit for your class? Do you have the right uh, latitude in your noseband? Is your whip the right type or, or right length? There are millions and millions of of things. And the other part of knowing the rules is having a bit of an idea of what's required for the sort of workout that you're going to to do, but we'll perhaps touch on that elsewhere. But knowing the rules is a courtesy to the judge, I believe, because it saves the judge having to coach you in Mm. what's required. And that's not the judge's job. You know, the judge's job is to judge. Yes. And there are judges and there are judges and I'm the sort of judge who will Help you know. I try to help mm. people as much as I can, timetable mm-hmm. allowing, and so I will say, "Oh yes, you have to, you know, be on the right rein or, or whatever." Or did you realise you've got to take your boots off? <laughs> but a lot will just say eliminated. Yeah, yeah, and I think it depends on the level of the competition too, doesn't it? You know, at, at the uh, the lower level competitions, the judges are coaching as well. You know, but then as they go through, by the time you've gone through a few competitions and you get to a higher level, it's pretty much, and as you say, it's to obey the rules first, you need to know the rules. Yes. And if you're in a class, a big class, 30 horses or something, it's immensely different from Mm. being in a class with one or two or three horses or even in an event like the AWHA National Championship Tour where you're the only horse on show at that moment. And in a big class, 
why would a judge bother to even tell you when they have two dozen other competitors who are all correct and ready to be judged? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. All right, we've got number five here is to develop and inspire your horse. Yes. I like the idea of inspiring your horse because I completely believe that it's true and possible and I've experienced it happening. There's an old saying that the horse you get on today isn't the horse you got off yesterday. And it's equally true that the horse you get off today isn't the same one you got on. So mm. you, and we're talking about riding, obviously yep. if you are working in hand, it's the same deal. But you are either improving or you're going backwards. There's not a lot of static stuff with horses because they are so intuitive themselves and so quick to learn. I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but if you communicate clearly with them, they learn very, very quickly. And so the idea, I think, is to constantly watch for teaching opportunities because the horse will, a mind of its own, experiment a bit and they will they have their own rule book and they'll say how about if I do this if you let that go but it's not something you want then the horse has already learned okay I can push that boundary a little bit and then they might push it a little more or, or try something else so you just say you don't punish you correct you say no no it's not what we do we do this oh I get it okay I forgot forgive me so that's part of it. And then the other part is, in fairness to your horse, you have to prepare them for what they're going to encounter when they go out of your yard, out of your establishment, away from where you adjust them, where they're familiar with, and deal with uh, sideshow alley and flapping bunting and dogs and people with prams and, uh, you know, shiny sponsor signs and banners and all that sort of thing. So I think the message is Get it right before you compete and then finesse your aids and your cues so you don't have to fuss yes. <laughs> in the ring. And remember basics, which are often part of the rules, like which way to turn your horse in a lead class. And it's really simple things that people seem to let go out the window. I'm sure they do it at home, but they forget to use their outside rein in dressage and hacking. Mm -hmm. It just sort of hangs there sometimes in the lower levels and you think, I know that their instructor has told them not to do that, but it's all part of it. So the more you practice at home and the more you inspire your horse, the more you work as a team. And that's gold for your own confidence and for preparing to compete. Yep. And I'm just going back to one of the earlier notes about good horsemanship and good riding should be a habit. So you're talking about developing these habits on a daily basis. Yes, yep. exactly. So that in their second nature and if the horse does something you don't want you can say not verbally but you know mm. the horse no that's yep. what we do we do this and that should be the end of the argument pretty yes. much yes. if you've trained it enough at home all right now number six you've got um plan and manage your entrance yes i think that's really important and it's it's part of ring craft but it actually begins before the ring because you want to Ideally, before your class, get there early enough so you can have a look at the action area before you go in. So whether it's an indoor arena, uh, an agricultural show with you know, six or eight rings going on and the trots around the outside. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you've been to I'm these sure. exciting yes. events. Yes. And you want to see, okay, what is there? 
and anticipate and plan your entire workout. So let's say it's the agricultural show and you're in ring three. You need to look at what's going on in the other three other other rings. Are they all horses? Are some of them llamas or dogs? And then watch some of the other competitors in the ring you'll be in. Is there a boggy spot? Is there a slippery spot? Um, in an indoor arena, maybe there are sunspots and horses are shying at them. You know, sunny areas where there's panels in the roof or something. In outdoor settings, there might be telegraph poles that throw shadows that horses might want to jump over. All sorts of things. As the steward carrying a dozen flapping satin ribbons, it's an exciting place. So you need to look at it and just, just not panic, <laughs> but observe and think. Okay, if I get near that area, I will be ready for it. I will ask my horse to half halt or do a bit of shoulder in or something like that, so they don't shy or spook or they're busy and not not looking at the shadow. Yep. Yep. Does that make sense? Definitely. And I think, you know, I think the big thing is you don't just get there to be early and to be organised. You get there to give your horse the best advantage so that you can show them to their best advantage. Yes, exactly. Mm. And then part of that is warm up, part of that is visualisation. You've got to remember that a judge, that first impressions count. Mm. And so you have to be showing almost while you're in the collecting ring. So you need to gauge how you're going to leave that collecting ring and you're going to leave enough space between you and the horse in front, two or three lengths is ideal in indoor situations. Some, um, you know, Western showing, for instance, which I'm less familiar with, but I know uh, being on the rail is the coveted position, but you have to um, Make sure that if you're on the rail, there aren't horses inside you that are obscuring your horse. It's a whole science to how you handle the corners so that you gain ground or lose ground. And basically, um, what I would say is merge with your horse and concentrate. So bear in mind the idea is to be visible to the judge and plan your Workout so the judge can see you. It doesn't mean you you cut other people off or you know, dive in front of them or do anything discourteous, but remain visible and remain on show the whole time. Yep, yep. All right. Now the next one we've got number seven is maintain your posture. Would you like to speak about that a little bit? Hmm. I think posture is something that is a bit underrated. Um, in common life these days, yep. like when I was a kid, we were told to stand up straight and people did deportment classes and had to walk with books on their head and all sorts of uh, things so that you basically maintained your body in alignment. And this is such an issue now with um, everybody getting iPad neck and basically <laughs> um, looking down and forward a lot at, at devices and at computer screens and spending more time sitting. So you're on a horse or you're leading a horse, you've got to stand or sit tall. And that means, you know, head up, chin up, chest out, shoulders back, shoulders down, stomach in, blah, blah. And in this posture, you look competitive, you look confident. And if you try it, even now I'm sort of doing it, speaking to you, actually... That's okay, because so am I. <laughs> ...in my energy. <laughs> yeah, can you feel the shift in your energy oh, when you... definitely. You know, you start to talk about that and the body, the posture, you know, standing up, shoulders back, for sure. Yeah. Mm. 
and that enables you to look where you're going and use your peripheral vision so then you can gauge openings, you can avoid bunch-ups. You shouldn't, when you're riding anyway, even alone, be looking down at the horse or at your hands because neither of them is going to change colour. But when you're competing, you also need to glance at the judge now and then. And that's a part of not posture in terms of body, but posture in terms of presence, shall we say presence, and how you look. You know, you don't want to to look terrified. You don't have to smile all the time, but it can work if you're not a natural smiler. Like Mary Hannah does a fantastic job, doesn't she? (laughs) Smiling all the time. Uh, Other people look just as good maintaining this kind of neutral expression of concentration. But either way, you need to look like you belong and that you know what you're doing. So you want to tell the judge with your body language, I'm a contender. And that also means that once you've been called in, uh, in the lineup, even when the other horses are working out, you don't relax You because the judge may look backwards. And if your horse is resting a hind leg and you're slouching or talking to someone or waving to your friends, it detracts from yes. the image. Yes. It's funny because you hear it. Some judges say, I don't know what it was that person just attracted me. Now, as a judge, they should know, but it's often all these little things that you're saying, you know, just making sure about the, and it's to do with the ring craft of the show, isn't it? All of these tips. Yeah. 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 Yes. And uh, I think I wouldn't put a percentage on it, but a reasonable percentage is eliminating the negatives. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, like, you know, if you're going to sell your car, well, you take the, the stuff out of it that's cluttering it up, any rubbish, you clean yep. it, you yep. dust off the console. It's not much, but they're negatives and that your car, now detailed a little bit, will look so much more competitive than the car next to it, which has mud splatters and a few beer cans on the floor yep. and, yep, you know, sure. a couple of kids' yep. toys and a dog bed or something. All right. Now, number eight, we've got be assertive. Yes. Be assertive is part of posture uh, in a way, but it's also, it's twofold. In fact, it's threefold. You need to be assertive with your horse. So you have taught your horse manners and obedience, and you need to keep his attention and keep him working and not be a passenger and certainly not be a grass skier. So Mm -hmm. assertiveness with the horse. You've got to be assertive with yourself. So you have to keep reminding yourself, you know, come on, pay attention. We're on show here. It's not going to last forever, but we need to hold it together. And then with the judge, um, I have seen people do this and it's interesting. There is no need to be apologetic to the judge. You have a right to be there. You've paid the entry fee. You're as good as or better than anyone else else or everyone else. Your horse is as good as or better. You've worked hard. And equally, um, you need to be assertive with your space in the ring. So you have uh, a right to be there. So do the other competitors, as long as you keep a safe distance and allow yourself to be seen. You don't have to defer to anybody. In the class, you are an equal. Yep, that's a good tip. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com.
The next one, present your horse like a million-dollar buyer is watching. It sort of goes back to the, the what you were talking about with the car, isn't it, about eliminating the negatives. But what else have you got to say about that? Yeah, that's true. Even if you'd never sell your horse, I think I mentioned before visualisation, mm-hmm. it can help people to get out of their own head and into a different space where they are more showman-like, shall we say, if you are thinking, okay, I have planned all my life to sell this horse and now the buyer who's fake so-and-so is going to give me a million bucks for this horse. And so how would you be under those circumstances? You would, I think, try to be polished, proud, proficient, and with the horse, you would want that horse to be either motionless or in motion at your call. Yep. So I'll repeat yep. that. You yep. want the horse to be motionless or in motion at your call. What does that tell the prospective buyer or the judge? This is a well-trained horse that would be a pleasure to own. Yes. And then you have the attitude, if there are other horses vying for the same buyer, that not that, oh, maybe they'll buy that one. No. You say to yourself, everyone else has to beat me. Yes. Yes. And I liked also to just, and this is just something to do with training, the horse is either motionless or whatever, but it's at your call. It's whatever you want the horse to be doing, not for the horse to decide. And that's a bit more more to do with training, but I think it's a pretty important one. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yes, the horse has a voice, but you've had the conversation at home and you've struck the deal like you would in any partnership, going yep. ballroom dancing, for instance, or playing doubles tennis. Uh, okay, this is how we're going to put our best foot forward on this occasion. Yes, yes, okay. The last one we've got, you said don't do what the pros do, but do think how they think. Yes, I wanted to end on that one, which is number 10, because Mm -hmm. I have said before, watch how the best competitors present themselves, etc. And to a degree, yes, copy them. Copy their thinking and their their image. Don't try and um, copy them exactly. I'll yes. tell you a story that uh, struck me very deeply. In my first um, Sydney Royal show, I took Powerlifter to Sydney Royal to compete in the lead Warmblood Stallion classes. And there was a very, very well-known hack rider warming up in one of the warm-up areas. And he had a piece of um, baling twine around the horse's neck, you know, just uh, orange baling twine as it was then. And it was doing nothing, just a loop of string around the horse's neck. And somebody said, hey, I won't mention his name, why do you have that bit of baling twine on the horse's neck? And this Mm -hmm. was a peer, you know, a friend. And he said, just so people will wonder what I'm doing. And he said, I bet by the end of the show, (laughs) if I win – there'll be other horses with bailing twine around their neck in the warm-up area. That's funny, yeah. And I thought, yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> yes, People yes, will it copy is. it. So don't, don't blindly copy is the point of the story. If there is a reason to do it, then by all means do it. But don't do it just because they do. And why is that? Because they're not you and their horse is not your horse. Mm-hmm. And all horses, as we know, are individuals and so are all people. But, you know, success does leave clues, so study them closely. Yes. And do what they do in terms of what I said before, knowing the rules, etc. 
the pros know why the judges ask for lead workouts on the right rein. They know why judges call for a side on halt or whatever. And they exploit that. They milk that. They make sure that, okay, the judge wants me to go that way so he can see the horse, not me. Or the judge has asked for a side on halt, so I will stop absolutely side on and absolutely square and at efficient distance a sufficient distance so that she, the judge, can see that you know the horse's confirmation and its obedience and everything else that goes with that side on halt. So it's developing an eye for the qualities of the horses and the riders who win. And the other thing is, what do the pros do? They often aren't working alone, so it's easier for them, but they keep themselves and their horse topped up with water and meals because, you know, you're not going to win if you uh, are dehydrated and you've got low blood sugar, both you and your horse will be tucked up and hangry and that's not a good recipe for success. Yep, yep. Just going back to the baling twine as well, you know, you, you want to copy what people do, but you said earlier about winning competitions, pull things together. It's not just the individual things that the winning competitors do. It's all the little individual things, not just one. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And the idea, if you want to get into this seriously, is to develop your own style. And yep. one day, the bailing twine degrade will copy you. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. Yep. All right. Now, Joanne, after that, we're going to talk, and I'm sure that the listeners would have heard a lot more about you. And um, I'm sure they'll be all thinking right now, I want to get on and, and um, win that book. Basically, if you go on to the Horse Chats and go on to iTunes, if you leave a five-star review, mention Joanne's name and the book and talk about what you found valuable about this interview. You know, if you want to learn more about something, that's great. That's a good time to say it there. But talk about why they'd like that book and we will draw a book just so that, you know, people, not everyone listens to this straight away. So we've got a little bit of a chance there. We'll draw one in July one in August and one in September. So if you'd like to do that, if you want to um, go on to iTunes, leave that five-star review, make sure that you mention Joanne and anyone that mentions Joanne will go into the draw. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more, if you'd like Joanne to come back and talk a bit more about some of the things she's mentioned today and uh, talk about why you'd win the book, that'll just sort of put you in advance probably of... Um, yeah, although it's a draw, so it'll be great if you do talk about why you'd like to look, win the book anyway. Yep. All right, Joanne, thank you very much again for spending the time and talking to us again. And, yeah, we'd love to have you back. You know, you've talked about how to help the competitors. And if people would like anything in particular from Joanne, that's great. I'm thinking about your next interview, Joanne. You could talk about something that's going to help judges or help people to start judging you know give them a little bit of a pathway you've talked about your pathway but just some ideas of how they could start to judge would be wonderful sure i i would love to that's great joanne all right well we'll talk to you very soon and thank you very much bye-bye thank you glennis bye if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352.
Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 